us. We are continuing in our series in James, and uh, we're in James at the end of chapter 3, and uh, we're going to be talking about wisdom today, and as I'm sure many of you know, uh, wisdom is a little bit different than intelligence or knowledge. We can have a lot of knowledge and yet be unwise. We can have a lot of intelligence and be unwise. You probably know some really, really smart people who have made poor choices in terms of wisdom in their life. In fact, I hazard a guess that some of you are very intelligent people that have made poor choices according to wisdom in your life. I like to think of myself as kind of intelligent, and I can tell you that I've made a lot of bad decisions in terms of wisdom in my life. And that's what James is going to get at here. James is, as you know, looking at the very early church... Um, He's the head of the church in Jerusalem. He's looking at the church scattered uh, very early in the first century. And these young churches and these young Christians are behaving in ways that cause James to wonder how much wisdom is among them. And he's concerned. He's concerned that they might be very intelligent. They might be very experienced in life. And yet they are making decisions and they're making choices that lead to negative consequences instead of choices that result in righteousness and peace. Uh, Proverbs 3, 7 to 8 says, Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And so for Christians specifically, wisdom comes from the right knowledge of God applied rightly to our lives. But this problem that James saw and that we experience still today is that we can go through significant seasons of our life characterized not by positive consequences of peace and healing and refreshment, but we have seasons in our life that are characterized by disorder and pain and discouragement. Or if not a season of your life, maybe it's just one part of your life. Maybe you've got it all together at work. Maybe you've got it all together with your family. But, you know, there's a couple of friends that you just can't seem to fix that relationship with. You know, and that part of your life, it just seems to be off the rails. And no matter what you try to do to fix it, it doesn't work. Or maybe, you know, everything's great with your friends and things are great at home and your marriage. You know, but at work, it just seems one bad decision after another. And so... You're wondering, how can I get my arms around this problem and get it fixed? Because it's never getting sorted out. So, James has some answers here. Wisdom is what we need. And after talking about genuine faith and works and genuine words, he wants his Christian friends to understand that the reason their lives and possibly even their church is in disarray is because they're not discerning between genuine wisdom and false wisdom. And so this text... um, Verses um, 13 to 18, if you want to turn there in James chapter 3, it has a certain structure to it. I'm just going to give you the structure ahead of time uh, so that you can see the structure of the text. It starts with an introduction, and then James is going to do a comparison. He's going to do a comparison between unheavenly or worldly wisdom, its origin and nature and its fruit, and then he's going to talk about heavenly wisdom, its origin and nature and its fruit. And so just by seeing that structure, hopefully, as we read this text, you'll be able to sort of follow along with James's argument. And uh, through the magic of indentation, we'll try and make it even more obvious. Let's read this text together. Actually, I'll just pray before we do. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, which gives us the wisdom and the discernment uh, to understand it. 
and then even more importantly, Lord, to apply it. Uh, I know for myself um, and for many who are here and many who are listening, uh, wisdom is that thing that we would really love to have because we know that it is through your wisdom uh, that many of the errors and many of the choices of our life get unraveled and we find uh, peace and we find righteousness in the place of disorder and uh, wickedness. And so, Lord, that's what we want this morning. Just open our hearts and our minds to your word. In Christ's name, amen. James three thirteen to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But... The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So James's lesson here is pretty straightforward. We understand he's talking about wisdom, and we understand he's going to compare or contrast wisdom that does not come down from above and wisdom that does come down from above. And so he opens into his introduction here with a simple question and immediately establishes the comparison or the contrast that he intends. Who is wise and understanding among you? And understand here that James is not trying to be facetious. He's not trying to be insulting to this young church or to these young Christians. It's a legitimate question. He's saying, who among you claim to be wise? And if you really are wise, he says here, then by all means, show it. It will be apparent in good conduct and humble instruction. Who among us as Christians are wise? We should step up and display our wisdom in our good conduct and our meekness and humble instruction of wisdom. But on the other hand, the contrast, if your heart is full of jealousy and ambition, he warns you should not boast. You better keep quiet because you are not wise and you should not be stepping up to instruct. So there's two kinds of wisdom, one that's not really wisdom at all. One is a worldly wisdom, and the other is a heavenly wisdom. But let's first just consider the unheavenly wisdom, which is where most of James's warning is. James often is speaking in this letter kind of in the negative. He's warning more than he's encouraging. It's not that he's not encouraging, and he does encourage in this text, but the warning is where he spends most of his time. He says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. What is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic? The wisdom or the the way of life or or the thought process or the approach to life that creates bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts and makes you boastful. He says, that is not the wisdom that comes from above. And the origin of this false wisdom isn't heaven. It doesn't come from above. In fact, we might say it comes from below. It's the wisdom of the world. The first thing we see about its origin here is that it is earthly. And earthly essentially means what it is. In his letter to the church in Colossae, Paul describes what James is referring to here. He says um, that where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made the foolish the wisdom of the world? So this earthly wisdom or this worldly wisdom is foolishness to God. And James goes on to say that this earthly wisdom is unspiritual, 
Or, or more literally, the, the Greek psychikos means natural. This is a natural wisdom. It's the opposite of pneumaticos or spiritual. So you have psychikos and pneumaticos, and so there is a natural or unspiritual, and there is a spiritual, and James says this wisdom is natural. It's from the world, it's earthy, and it's natural. What does that mean? Instead of a spiritual source, it comes up out of our natural emotions and senses. It's our instinctive reaction to things. It's the kind of wisdom that you will find embodied in phrases in our culture like, if it feels good, how can it be wrong? It's, an, it's natural to act this way. If, if you react this way naturally, then it must be right because it's in my nature. Or I was born this way. Or even, you might even hear Christians say, um, this is how God made me, so you'll just have to deal with it. So that's a natural wisdom, right? It's like, this is how I am. You just have to take it. You know, this is how I naturally respond to people like you. And so this must be right. And James says that's earthly. James says that's unspiritual. It is natural. That is not wisdom from above. Have you ever heard that kind of reasoning? Have you ever used it to justify your own actions? We have to be wary of supposed wisdom that's based on earthly things and our natural responses that rise up instinctively out of our nature. Yes, we are image bearers of God, but we are fallen image bearers. The wisdom that we have is not trustworthy apart from the correcting and redeeming influence of God. In fact, James concludes by saying this wisdom that is not from above goes even lower than just the earth. He says that it is demonic. And Paul expands on this teaching of James in his letter to the city of Colossae. In Colossians 2.8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You see, James is in perfect alignment, or Paul is in perfect alignment with James here. He he says it's not just philosophy, it's not just human tradition that is the problem. They are actually arise out of the elemental spirits of this world. In other words, there are books and there are daytime talk shows and there are YouTube personalities and there are bloggers and there are philosophies and methodologies and therapies out there that promise you the solution to life. They say they can fix your problem. They can fix your marriage. They can fix your relationships. You can get these things sorted out. You can get your career back on track. You can be a healthier, more mindful person. You can have your best life now if you will just follow these steps. But the reality is they are empty deceit if they are divorced from the truth of God. They may be band-aids or they may be distractions that cover up what is broken, but they do not fundamentally heal Paul warns and James warns, because if they are not according to Christ, they are the product of elemental forces. And those forces are against you, they are not for you. Proverbs 14 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. You see, you'll watch that YouTube video, or you'll watch that you know, clip on Facebook, and it will seem right. There will be people that tell you that it will work, and it will seem like it's good, but if it's not coming from the wisdom of God, then it leads ultimately to death. And if you want an expanded study on earthly versus heavenly knowledge, I will just point you to the whole series we did on Colossians, because that's really what that whole book is about. But especially the first message. If you go on the website, you go to February 27th last year, 
you'll find that first message in Colossians. And all of Colossians will just be a lesson on comparison of Christ's knowledge and earthly knowledge. So that's the origin of earthly knowledge, or the wisdom, sorry, that's the origin of wisdom that is not from above. And it produces a kind of fruit, this false wisdom produces a kind of fruit that's found in verse 16. It says, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And these are kind of two different sides to the same coin. Because here's the thing about jealousy. We tend to be jealous of the people who are actually the most like us, and we tend to be jealous of them over the things that we are most ambitious for ourselves. In other words, I can give you many examples of people I am not jealous of. I am not jealous of great surgeons or their skill in surgery. I am not jealous of great carpenters and their skill in carpentry. I don't lose any sleep that I've not won any architectural awards. I'm not jealous of actors and their acting ability. I'm not jealous of real estate agents and their client list. And it's such a long list of people that I am not jealous of, I can actually convince myself that I'm actually not a very jealous person. But then I have to ask, who am I jealous of? I'm jealous of people who are actually just like me. If there's jealousy in my life, it's because I'm comparing myself to somebody who's really more like me than I want to admit. And I'm jealous over things I'm ambitious for and desire for myself. In other words, I can easily be tempted to be jealous of great preachers or pastors and the audiences that they have or the conferences that they are invited to speak at. I can easily be jealous of their ability to craft words so well and put them in books, jealous of the attention that their words get. The very things on my worst days that I might hate in other people are the exact same things that I actually desire for myself. You can already see how messed up that is. I'm jealous because they have what I want, so it's wrong for them to have it, but it would be fine if I had it. And that's how jealousy and selfish ambition works. Oh, it's fine if I'm invited to the conference, and if I have a great book, and if people laud me for my words, but oh, it bugs me when they love Tim Keller. You know? It bugs me when John Piper puts a phrase together better than I can. On my worst days. And that's how most of our lives go with jealousy. I could also be jealous, and I was jealous of my older brother's. The oldest, because we all grew up on a farm, and he was a good farmer, and he was naturally stronger than me, and I didn't care that much about farming, but what I did care about was my dad's good opinion, and my brother had it. Now, I did too, to be fair. My dad loved me. I had his good opinion, but I thought he had a better opinion of my brother because my brother was a farmer, so I was jealous because I was ambitious for what my brother had. I could also be jealous of my other brother's innate coolness. He's better looking, he's funnier, he plays guitar, he sings, he draws, he composes music. He had beautiful girlfriends in high school. He literally looked like Rob Lowe. Still does. He was the most popular guy in high school. My high school, the school I wanted to be popular in. So I could be angry at him for being who I wanted to be and having the things I want. You see, jealousy rears its head in the people that are most like us because they have the things that we are most ambitious to have ourselves. And so the logic of my earthly mind is, it's unacceptable to me that you have what I want and you are who I want to be. 
And if that kind of attitude in your heart keeps going, it leads to disorder and every vile practice. That's supposed to underline, but that's okay. Oh, I see. There we go. Now I'm caught up. Disorder is a lack of peace, and James is momentarily going to contrast disorder and peace and vile practice and righteousness. But just for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into depth here. You'll talk about it more in your life groups, but this is the reality. You're getting the picture. This is the wisdom that is from, not from above. This is the wisdom of earthly people where jealousy and selfish ambition and there's disorder and there's a lack of peace and it leads to things like gossip and anger and slander and malice and disobedience and unforgiveness. All of those things are things that the Bible would consider vile practices. But there's another wisdom that James would have all of his Christians friends recognize and receive. And it is the wisdom from above. The wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. James says this is the wisdom that we want. It has its origins above. It's a heavenly wisdom. It finds its source in God. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 3, 7 to 8 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to you, to, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Boy, that sounds better, doesn't it? That sounds like the wisdom that we want. We want the healing and the refreshment. We want that to come into those areas of our life where the jealousy and the discord is, where the uncertainty is, where the disorder is, where where the anger is, where the selfishness is. We need this healing and refreshment to come in. And James describes the nature of this heavenly wisdom. He says that it's pure and then peaceable and then gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits and it's impartial and sincere. And that's all the stuff we're looking for, isn't it? That's what we want to be our lives to be characterized by. That's what James wants these Christian friends of his to be characterized by. And we can ask ourselves, as we conduct our lives, if we think about that area of our life where there is discord, where there is disorder, where there is perhaps we're not at our you know, best, where we're not uh, proudest of our behavior. We think about whatever that part of our life is where wisdom, our wisdom, hasn't seemed to work for a long time. We can ask ourselves, is this what's characterized there? Because if that area of our life is not characterized by these things, then there's a very good chance, James says, that It's not the wisdom from above that's being applied there. It's the wisdom from below. It's earthly wisdom. And what you have to do is you have to stop trying to treat that area in your life with your earthly wisdom and bring to bear on it the wisdom from above. If your wisdom isn't coming across as pure and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy towards those who need mercy and is sincere without deceit, then you're not operating in the sphere of heavenly wisdom. And if your approach to the situation is producing disorder and envy and hard feelings and stubbornness and selfishness and payback and recrimination, then you can be sure that you're operating in the sphere of earthly wisdom. So James says that's the test. There's a heavenly wisdom and there is an earthly wisdom, and you can tell which one is in play by what you see going on in that situation. And we want that good wisdom because it produces a harvest of righteousness and it's sown in peace by those who make peace. But here's the question. 
how do we get this wisdom? James hasn't really answered that question. He's just said that some Christians are wise and some aren't. And he said that there's a wisdom from above and there is a wisdom that isn't from above. But he hasn't really told us how we get our hands on it. And in order to do that, we have to jump back just a little bit and move along to some other scriptures. Because James does not elaborate on that. We were to go back to James 1 verse 5, which we had passed over, and I told you we would come back to it. James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, without reproach, and it will be given him. So there's a simple answer from James. If you're lacking wisdom, then the first thing you need to do is ask God for it. And God will give it to you without reproach, meaning God won't scold you for being unwise. God will give you the wisdom generously and not condemn you for lacking it. But I want us to notice first here that the person has to recognize that they lack wisdom. And this is a bit of a catch-22, because quite often the person who needs wisdom is not wise enough to notice that they need wisdom. And so you need this little parcel of wisdom that says it's not working. And that's what the first part of the message was about. James says there is this big, you know, siren going off in your life that says you need wisdom. Because there's this area of your life that is disordered and it is unrighteous and it is not peaceful and it is not getting resolved and it is distraught and causing you distress. That is your signal that you need to ask God for wisdom. And so first of all, notice the person has to recognize that they lack wisdom. We start by admitting that we lack it. There is a season of time in my marriage, and it actually hasn't ended, but there was a more pronounced season of time in my marriage where I lacked wisdom to get Wendy and I from where we were to where I knew we should be. You know, and if any of you have been married, I'm sure you've fought once or twice. And Wendy and I had a season where we were fighting too much. We were just bickering over silly things. And, you know, in retrospect, I look back now, having written this sermon, and realized that I was jealous and I had selfish ambition. And so I was bitter in my jealousy, and my selfish ambition was driving my wisdom. And there was a point at which finally I kind of woke up and I, I realized... I don't have the wisdom to get myself out of the hole I've dug this relationship into. And, and I would literally say that. Like, like the moment would come when, you know, you would feel like you want to say something or maybe there was going to be a conversation that wasn't going to end well. And I would literally pause at that point and I would say, I don't have the wisdom to go on. I, I can't keep talking because nothing wise is going to come out of my mouth. And there's a point where you just have to acknowledge, James says here, you lack wisdom. I had to acknowledge I lacked wisdom. And, you know, God in his grace eventually gave me some wisdom when I finally admitted that I lacked it and I sought him for it. It was just an honest surrender to the fact that I was not wise. I saw no way out of the maze that I had gotten us into. And that confession of lacking was the beginning of the answer. And I say that and I share that because some of you may have that area of your life where you just have not been able to fix it. Maybe for days, weeks, months, years, I don't know. But there's a point when you just say, I don't have the wisdom to solve this. And that's the beginning of knowledge is to acknowledge that God has it and we don't have it. 
But what James doesn't elaborate on here is how God gives us the wisdom. And I want to close with this. What God does is give us wisdom. We ask God for wisdom and he gives it to us. But, and, and we know this verse and so we ask for it. But I think what a lot of Christians miss and don't realize is how God gives us wisdom. And he gives us wisdom by various means. There are ways in which when we ask God for wisdom and God agrees with you and says you do lack wisdom, now I'm going to give you some wisdom. What we often do as Christians is we miss how God does it. How does God give us wisdom? The means by which it comes. And this is very important for us to understand. So if we ask for wisdom, where should we start looking for it? Well, first of all, he gives it by his spirit. Ephesians 1, 16 to 17, Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So Paul says here for Christians, when the spirit of Christ comes with us, the spirit of wisdom comes. It's the same spirit. The spirit has wisdom. Um, We could go to the gospels and we could uh, go to Jesus's prayer for his disciples. And he says, when I leave, I'm going to send the paraclete, the helper to be with you. And he's going to remind you of the things that I say. So the spirit comes to us with wisdom and God's wisdom. When we ask for it, we should look for it through the spirit. But notice that this wisdom has its basis in knowing Jesus. And so wisdom comes from our meditation on the person and reality of Jesus Christ and the teaching of Jesus Christ. So yes, pray for wisdom. And yes, God gives us wisdom by his spirit. And yes, we should be looking for it specifically as we discover and we grow in the knowledge of Jesus. It's through the spirit that God's wisdom comes to us. And most of us understand that, and we pray, and we just sort of wait for the Spirit to enlighten us, and that can happen. But there's another way in which God's wisdom comes. It comes through the Word of God. In Deuteronomy 4, 6, it says that God's law made Israel wiser than all the nations around them. And Psalm 119, 98 and 99 says, Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. So again, you've prayed for God, to God. You said, I've lacked wisdom, and God is giving what is lacked. And so I've prayed for God to give what I lack, and then I ask myself, how is it going to come? And God says, it's going to come through my word. I'm providing you with wisdom in my word. Jesus says it this way, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. So we pray for wisdom. God gives his spirit of wisdom, and he gives his word written and personified in Jesus and his teaching for wisdom. And so it would then make sense that if you pray and ask God for wisdom, but your Bible remains closed for the next month, then you may not be receiving the wisdom that God has for you. You've asked him for wisdom. God says, I've provided it. It's right there beside your bed. You just have to open those covers and the wisdom will be there for you. My spirit is with you. My word is with you. And finally, God provides his wisdom through his church. Paul says in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So it's interesting because Paul here is just describing the normal week-by-week worship time and and the worshiping and the celebration and the interaction on the Word of God that takes place with Christians living together as Christians. 
And he says that in that time, as the word of God is dwelling in all of these Christians, James would say, who among you is wise and has understanding? So as the word of God is dwelling in the Christian community, embodied in certain mature, wise Christians, Paul says just in the normal week-by-week living out Christian life together, you are teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So again, coming back to the personal application, we've admitted we don't have wisdom for this situation. I can't fix this relationship in my family. I can't fix this situation at work. Lord, give me wisdom. I, I got to open my Bible and see if there's wisdom there. And I got to listen to the people who are teaching and admonishing me within the body of Christ because God's wisdom is intended to come to you by means of the church, by means of his spirit by means of the word, and by means of brothers and sisters in the church. They will bring to you the wisdom of God, Paul says. They are teaching and admonishing each other in all wisdom. And so we cannot ask God for wisdom and then run away from the church and close our ears to brothers and sisters who are sincerely trying to speak into our lives. If you pray for wisdom, God will give you wisdom. But you have to receive it by the means in which God gives wisdom. He gives his wisdom by his spirit, by his word, and by the church. If you pray and ask God for wisdom and ignore the word, and ignore the teaching of Jesus, and ignore all your Christian brothers and sisters, then I am not sympathetic when you complain that God has left you without wisdom. He hasn't. You've simply not received what he's given you. And so when we think about our lives and we think about wisdom, we think about wisdom from above and wisdom from the earth. We know that the wisdom of the earth can get us into all kinds of trouble. We think we have clever ideas to unravel ourselves from our problems. And most of the time, it only makes it worse. James comes along and he says, if you've got disorder, if you have a lack of peace, if there is malice, if there is selfishness, if there is jealousy in some part of your life, then that is a warning to you that you are probably applying the wisdom of the world. But he says, here's the good news. And it's really good news. There is a wisdom from above. There is a wisdom that is God's wisdom. There is a wisdom that he gives generously to all who ask it without reproach. God never scolds you when you come to him and say, God, you are so much wiser than me and I lack the wisdom that I have. And he gives generously to those who ask. And he gives through his spirit. He gives through his word. He gives through his church. And so when we seek the wisdom of God, We want to be a people who do not close the word of God, but we open it in the most difficult times and situations of our life. We don't want to withdraw from Christian counsel, but we want to seek it out. It is exactly when you are in your most disordered and distraught circumstances that Christians are called to lean into all the wisdom that God has by all various means provided to us. So if you're seeking wisdom, open your Bible Pray for the Spirit. Go to your life group. Talk to the most mature Christians you know. And be open to receive the wisdom of God that he is freely and generously giving to you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We had only what seems in my mind a brief time to cover a very important topic. 
a topic that was on James's heart for this early church, this young church that was, he obviously was speaking to things that he saw happening in churches uh, scattered around in various cities. And he was concerned that these churches were filled with selfishness and jealousy and that individual Christians were uh, not operating in the wisdom of God. And James's heart went out to them and he said, brothers and sisters, listen, there are wise people among you. There are mature people among you. There is a wisdom that God has given to his church. He's given it to mature believers and he's given it through his word and he's given it by his spirit. So by all means, be able to discern the wisdom that you don't have and the wisdom that you need. And James wants these distraught Christians to know that there is hope, that there is peace, that there is righteousness that is in store for them if they simply humble themselves and ask and then receive the wisdom that God is generous and faithful to give by many and various means to his children. And Father, that's who we want to be. We want to be Christians who are cautious of the wisdom of the world and saturated with the wisdom of your word and your spirit and your people. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.